Well, good morning, LCM. Today is October 20th, 2019. The title of today's message is Sukkot Cannot Be Stopped. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 2. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Somebody say, not be afraid. Not be afraid. Wow, what an encouraging thought from the Word of God as we get started this morning. As human beings, the Bible compares us to sheep. Do you know why it compares us to sheep? I guess there's a lot of reasons, but one is they're fearful little creatures. Yeah, yeah, we are too, aren't we? Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What an incredible time that we are having here at LCM. We want to take a moment to give God glory for his lavish love that he's poured out on us. Man, can't you say an amen to that? Amen. I don't know about you, but October is becoming my new beginning of the year. Uh, it's no longer around a fiscal year. Uh, it's no longer around a school calendar like I did for so many years. Not even a civil calendar. Uh, we're going to have an incredible time at our bonfire on New Year's Eve. We're going to celebrate and the Lord's going to speak to us. But I'm telling you, for me, this is my favorite time of the year. Because now my year is marked with the One Association Conference every year. That's where I view as New Year's. Consider what's happened to us, to our family, since last year's conference. Oh, this year we've had marriages in the house. Isn't that right, guys? Marriages established. Marriages made more in shalom. Oh, this has resulted in prosperity in our children. I'm talking about overflowing on this other side of this wall right here. Filling up our storehouses with children. Also, the Lord has prospered us with souls being added to our body. Many of you sitting here are the result and evidence of God's prosperity this year, being part of LCM, and the resources to accomplish God's vision. There's still more vision to go. There's still more resources that are needed, but we are standing in the year of prosperity, the fulfillment of what God said a year ago. Think about what the Lord has been instructing us. The word of God is so good, it teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, and it trains in righteousness. Think about some of the things that the Lord has been teaching and training us in this year. That we're a band of survivors. Yes. That we are to be master ship builders. Yes. That we're to have our family banners and raise them high and walk under them. That we're going to have a thousand generations that we're shooting for. And we have an all aboard series that's kind of culminated our entire history as a church. You'll see some of the signs that are around the church now. You got, go ahead and take a look. Do you guys see some of these phrases that we have here? Come on now. Of course, I, I also want to give you a quick notice. Yeah, right by the altar on both sides. We will remind you that you have to die as you come to the altar. Amen. Either holiness or die trying or dying for your brother's vision. Either way you want to go, you got to die if you're going to come down here. The Lord has been building our marriages. He's helping us with our parenting. We've even been working with our singles through discipleship, with our ministry training classes earlier in the year, with our foundations each and every week. The Lord has been so good to us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Oh, come on, church. Do you all remember the Wednesday before the conference? We met here. We had a prayer meeting that walked through the tabernacle. Wasn't that powerful? 
Oh, this is something that we're going to continue to do more. We see the effects of it in our own hearts, in our church, the way it affected our brothers and sisters. Well, this led to a crescendo moment, or moments, plural, in the conference. Wasn't it like a family reunion? I would even go as far as to say it was a family reunion on steroids. I mean, there were no fights between anyone. We were all in unity and shalom and enjoying the presence of God. Well, after the conference last Sunday, right here, pastors of the One Association preached on Talmudim. They walked through that, that process. This was evidence that we are sold out and committed to the DCD attitude, disciples, creating disciples. In fact, it's something that in our discipleship training on Friday nights, we'll set a time of when that'll start. We want to go through the Talmudim series in the, uh, based on the appendix in discipleship training book. We want to make sure that every heart of every person in our church understands it fully. Well, then, man, we came to last Wednesday. Wednesday after the conference, we re-engaged. Did you guys re-engage? I'm talking about not only learning about first century Jewish weddings, eschatology, and even a proposal at the very end. Come on, that was something to be celebrated. But we experience as a church body the opportunity to be baptized. I'm talking about renewing, restoring our covenant with the living God. What was intended as just two people participating that resulted in a total of 40 people from our body. Restoring and renewing their covenant. And then culminating to the point of having communion. That relationship with God being reestablished in the blood and with bread. Let's all turn to Psalm 118, verse 14. There you go. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Do you hear a passionate declaration for the works of God within this, this writer's life? Verse 15 is where it gets good, and I need you guys to rise up with me. Shouts of joy and victory. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. What has God been doing in our midst? He has been giving us reason to have shouts of joy, shouts of victory. Because we have dwelled within the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done what kind of things? Mighty things. What kind of things has the Lord's right hand done? Mighty. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. We need to give God glory this morning. We need to raise up a hallelujah. We need to let shouts of victory and joy fill our tents in the name of Jesus. Come on now. You guys feel a little muted to me this morning. Do you see what that, can you put verse 15 back up? Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents. It doesn't just sound, but it resounds. It resounds and it resounds. And we're going to do that again. We're going to give you a chance to do a better job. We're not asking you to cheer for us. Goodness gracious, that's ridiculous. We're asking you to think about the entirety of what God has done in just the last few months for us collectively and you individually. And we want you to have 
shouts of joy and victory that resound in this tent today. Come on, let's give God glory today. Come on, sometimes you got to take a minute to just celebrate what God is doing. Come on, we are a hard-driving, hard-going church here, but we need to go ahead and take a minute and say, man, my life is incredible. Man, look at what God is doing in our midst. This is the best thing that we could ever hope to have, and we get to do it with other people of like mind, of like heart, who are as committed as we are. This is something special. My goodness, I cannot tell you how difficult it was to build LCM. See, but your pastors and elders, we haven't done this because we had to. We hadn't done this because we were required to. That's not the main focus. We wanted to. And you can't stop us because we're going towards what the Lord has done in us. I mean, we wanted to. When you want to do something and you know that you can't be stopped because you have such a driving desire, that is what we want to encourage you with this morning. That's what we want to remind you about. Not because you have to. Not because you're required to by some other, by some other thought. We just want to. Yeah. We just want to have shouts that are, that are just outside of the norm. Where we lose our, our, our perspective from what the world is saying. We lose a little bit of our dignity because we've already died to that anyway. Amen. We've got something that is pushing us on the inside and saying, Whoa, I get to come to church today. Yes. I get to come die at the altar today. I love every part of this. And I love doing it with you. Do you love doing this with each other? Yes. Man, let's see how God's people have done exactly what we're doing here in these last few minutes. We're going to look to our older natural bloodline brother Israel for a pattern. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Somebody say Sukkot when you get there. Leviticus 23, 39. Man, if you know what we're about to get to, you should be excited that we're turning to Leviticus. Who gets excited about Leviticus? Oh, we do. We do because we get to turn there now. Look at verse chapter 23, verse 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month. Somebody say the seventh month. Seventh month. After you have gathered the crops of the land. See, after the goodness has come in. After you've been able to see it. We're no longer just trying to say and hope. We can actually see what God has done in our midst. You are to celebrate. Celebrate good time. Okay. Celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. Somebody say seven days. Seven days. The first day, it's a day of rest. And the eighth day is also a day of rest. Wait a minute. I thought you said that this was a seven-day feast. Why are we already talking about the eighth day? Yeah, that's because it's a seven-day feast. And just to make sure that you fulfilled the seven-day, you're going to meet together again on the eighth day. Man, what a beautiful thing. Uh, we don't quite want this to end yet. Didn't you feel that way about the conference? Yes. Yeah, I'm worn out. I've gotten like 10 hours of sleep for the last week combined, but I don't want this thing to end. Amen. That's the way that this is supposed to be. This is the seventh of seven feasts. This is Sukkot, the tabernacles. This is done, everything done at the festival was done in addition to the weekly Sabbaths. See, you don't stop what else you're doing. You get to add this to it. You're not doing it because only because you're required, but you get to do this because you want to. This is done in addition to any gifts, vows, or free will offerings. I don't know if we have a slide, but I want to remind you of the seven core principles of LCM. Oh, we do. Amen. 
I love the fact that your Gentile, very Gentile pastors came up with a list of seven things on the left of the core messages that LCM has ever preached. You can boil down every message that we've ever preached to one of these seven topics. Sometimes we'll do a a couple of them at one time, but it's one of these seven. Today, it's going to be another one of these seven. I promise. And what we realized after the fact, Pastor Eric was studying for a message a few weeks ago and realized foundational transformation. That's just like Pasach, the Passover, a real actual transformation, a real moment of salvation, a full price like the unleavened bread. You got to have a full price, a family function that becomes your first fruits that you offer your family. Hey, folks, you want to talk about making disciples? Husbands, your wives should be your primary and best disciple. Mothers and fathers, your, your best disciples should be your own children before you think that you can begin to do this with other people. A fiery faith. Wow, what does that align with? Pentecost itself. A full gospel proclamation that aligns with Yom Teruah, the feast of trumpets that God might call and send his call forth and that the whole world would hear about it. We decided, we're like, man, we've, Israel is so important. What are we going to call that? Let's favor Israel. The feast that aligns with favoring Israel is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement when an entire nation has had their sins washed away. And then fountain to the nations, which aligns with the very feast that we're going to talk about today, Sukkot. By the way, we're in Sukkot right now. Let's keep going. I want to read something to you because today we're going to do law prophet writings. We're beckoning back to older services that we've had so that it becomes ingrained in you. We're actually going to give you a little uh, Talmud reference here. Listen to this. This is talking about Sukkot. He who has not seen the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing of Sukkot has never seen rejoicing in his life. You ain't never seen a party till you've seen this party. At the conclusion of the first festival day of tabernacles, they descend to the court of the women where they have made a great enactment. They were the golden candlesticks with four golden bowls on the top of each of them with four ladders to each and four youths from the priestly stock in whose hands were held jars of oil. Listen to this. There was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light of the place of the watering of drawing. Men of piety and good deeds used to dance. Woo! To dance before them with lighted torches in their hand and sing songs and praises. Folks, sometimes we have a tendency to be, even in this church, to be a little bit too reserved, don't we? We're going to worship. We've got to make sure our shirt doesn't come up too much. And, and you know, we've got to take care of the kids. And These people were dancing with such revelry that other historians throughout time are like, man, you have literally never seen a party until you've seen these people rejoice over what the Lord had done. They were singing They were on 15 steps leading down to the court of the Israelites, corresponding to the 15 songs of ascent that come straight from the book of Psalms, from Psalms 120 to Psalm 134. This is a time of joy and celebration. Uh, What it must have been like to stand there in that day, rejoicing with the people of God and the good things that he's done. Let's pick up in verse 40. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds leafy branches, and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You know, what was being gathered 
were branches and fruit specific to the land of Israel. This was a command to gather it specifically from Israel. And with that in hand, they were then commanded to rejoice with these fruits and branches from the land of Israel. I want to read something to you from the book, uh, from a, uh, a source called the Jamara. The sages taught one who did not see the celebration of the place of drawing the water never saw celebration in his life. One who did not see Jerusalem in its glory never saw such a beautiful city. One who did not see the temple in its constructed state never saw a magnificent structure. What a sight to see. At this very feast was to celebrate the glory of God's goodness occurring right there in Jerusalem and that to be a fountain to all of the nations. We view Passover not only as a commemoration of the redemption of the people from Egypt, but also as a time of planting. In similar manner, we view Shavuot not only as a time of giving of the Torah and the Spirit, but also as a season of one of the yearly harvest. While like these, Sukkot is understood as Hag Ha'asif, the holiday of ingathering of the harvest in the land of Israel. Let's look at verse 41. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Now we keep coming across this number, don't we? We understand the importance here at this church. We speak about it often. There's seven days in a week. There are seven feasts that occur over seven months. And this feast takes seven days. Man, I think back to Joshua when they're going around Jericho. Actually, even before Jericho, the entirety of his campaign took seven years. Going around Jericho, there were seven priests with seven shofars marching around the city seven times on the seventh day. It's almost like God keeps having a reoccurring theme to help us understand what's going on. He's trying. It's almost like he's trying to tell me something. But what he does is he does this year after year in Revelation. Think about there are seven churches. There are seven lamps. There are seven angels. There are seven stars. There's seven statements to the overcomer. There's all kinds of things that the Lord continues to try to speak to us. And what does he say about this festival? He says, this must be a lasting ordinance. Somebody say lasting ordinance. Lasting ordinance. That means you don't get to choose to stop it. That means God has ordained it and he set it in motion for a reason. And you're going to see how important this reason is as we develop this today. In other words, it's not just about you. Say, everybody say, it's not just about me. It's not just about me. Now look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you either. Man, if we could only actually practice that, what we just said. I mean, if we can only really, really get a hold of that, I promise you that even as strong as this church is, we get stronger. We'll get better the more that we realize that what God has done in us, when we get to celebrate and resound with shouts of joy and thanksgiving, it's not about us. He didn't bless you for you. He blessed you because he's good and he's got a purpose for you to fulfill that is his bigger purpose. There's something important about that rehearsal, that practice, that repetition of doing something again and again and again. The Lord is trying to ingrain something into his people. So let's consider this for a second. Year after year, time after time, 
for 1,600, 1,700 years, they would continue to do this. And what was it? It was a celebration of everything that had happened in the year before. You got to look back at the year and go, wow, what the Lord has promised, He has made come true in my life. Man, it gets us off of our myopic picture of ourselves and what we don't have. Anybody ever try to bless your kids on a birthday, on, you know, Christmas, try to take them on a trip, and they're in the midst of what you have slaved for, and all they're figuring out and talking about is what they don't have. (laughs) Asad's like, oh, right over here. What you don't have. Have you been thinking about what you don't have lately? See, because this is the time to think about what the Lord has said He would do, His promises, His word to you, and the fact that He has helped you to fulfill it. You can see it now. Man, it should strengthen our faith today in this place. What has he said and what has he done? That should give us hope that what he has said that has not yet happened. Somebody say not yet. Not yet. Come on, say it again. Say not yet. Not yet. There are some promises that he's made that have not happened yet. See, but the reason you take a day of Sukkot, the reason you take seven days and celebrate is so you don't forget what he has done and how much you can trust in him that he has fulfilled every good promise that he made to you. Amen. See, they have received the harvest. They are sitting there looking at the bounty. They are celebrating with water and with torches and with everything else the greatness of our God. Amen. Man, what an incredible, incredible thought. Let's look at verse 42. Live in booths for seven days. All native Israelites are to be to live in booths so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He's saying, yeah, don't forget about me. Don't forget when you get into that land of promise, when you get into that year of prosperity, LCM. When you're seeing children that are overflowing in our back areas, when you're seeing things around you move in incredible ways, he's saying, "Uh, yeah, don't forget where you came from. That temporary dwelling that you had before. See, I know, I know you're living in a fancy house now, but you know, that, uh, that tent that you used to live in is important to think about. This is a celebration of fulfilled prophecy in this house. Anybody had a prophecy given to you here in this family? Anybody seen a prophecy fulfilled here in this family? I'm looking across and I'm seeing miracles. I know your stories. I know the children that were born here in this house to people who could not have children. Isn't that right, Randy? In that we have some that had to be healed. We've had people had to be raised from the dead to be sitting here with us. Man, when you look through that rearview mirror and realize that what God has promised, He will fulfill, and He has fulfilled in your midst. God, you get to celebrate fulfilled prophecy. You get to celebrate what, that God has fulfilled every good thing that He has talked to you. We can see it. We're driving right in the middle of it. We're right in the midst of what he's doing. That gives us anticipation that the promises that have not yet come are just that. They've just not yet come. If we just stay steady, he has proven himself. Can you imagine doing this as a nation 1,600 times? How faith-filled should they be? But let's not worry about them for a second. How faith-filled should you be? When you get to look at this kind of thing. That what the Lord has done for you. Man, and what gives us a determination. I can celebrate what God has done. He is so faithful to his word. Look at the harvest that he's brought to us. I'm anticipating there's still some things that yet need to be done. 
And I'm determined to go forward and keep going forward that his word might be fulfilled in me because his word's going to get fulfilled. Amen. It's just going to be whether I'm around to see it or not. Amen. All this opportunity that we have, church, of celebration, anticipation, and even determination. It's not because we have to. It's because we get to. It's because we want to. It's because we will not be stopped as the church of the living God until all of his promises are fulfilled in our midst. Let's go to 1 Kings 8. We'll start with verse 14. Say Sukkot whenever you get there. First Kings 8 gives details and description of the dedication of Solomon's temple. In the beginning of First Kings 8, it tells us that the dedication is actually occurring during the festival of the seventh month, that being the festival of Sukkot. So let's pick up in verse 14. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed him. And then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Who was, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he has promised. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. With his own mouth to my father David. For he said, since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built for my name to be there, but I have chosen David to rule over my people Israel. What we have is a celebration of where we come from. When I read this passage, I reflect on what God has been doing in our midst. That right now we are standing in the fulfillment of prophecies that God has given us. Just like Solomon here is standing in the fulfillment of the prophecy given to his father David. Some of the examples that we shared earlier, and we're going to keep going over because we need to celebrate these things. Are marriages that are now in shalom in the name of Jesus. We're now standing in the fulfillment of those. Children being born, added to our midst. Oh my, we are standing in the fulfillment of those promises and prophecies being made. Souls whose hearts were ready to hear the gospel, added to our midst. We are standing right now in the fulfillment of those prophecies. Resources to accomplish the vision. We're walking in that fulfillment right now. I want to share with you something personal that I reflected on in this manner something worthy of being celebrated during the One Association Conference last week. That it reminded me of a prayer that Eric and I had back in 2005. Much like what we see here in 1 Kings 8, a prayer is being offered. And God heard that seed of prayer. That in 2005, we were parked in front of a coffee shop over in Sugarland, And we cried out. I mean, it was gut-wrenching. Lord, where are the young men and women that hunger and thirst for righteousness? Where are those that will hunger for what we have just like we hungered for it? That will take it, possess it, and bring it even further? I'm going to be honest with you. It was maybe no, no less than five minutes of praying. But it was gut-wrenching. And what I was able to witness last weekend towards one of the latter sessions, I looked, tears began to flow down my eyes, and joy erupted in my soul. 
Because I am standing right now in the fulfillment of what we cried out before the Lord in 2005. That every single one of you are fulfillment to that promise and that cry and prayer. Every single person that is there at the One Association, in our midst, a family reunion on steroids, is an overwhelming source of joy knowing that the Lord heard our cry. Let's look at verse 25. Now, Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, somebody say now. Now. Oh, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. See, we're talking about not only celebration, but we're talking about the anticipation of what God is going to do in our midst, of the promises that he will yet fulfill in our vision. Come on, our faith should be at an all-time high. I'm challenging you today that your personal faith should be at an all-time high right now. Seeing what the Lord is doing, seeing him moving in our midst, seeing what he's bringing to us, seeing the the promises that he's fulfilled, your faith should be at an all-time high. Yes. If you are at any other state right now, then you're missing where we are. The enemy's trying to come in and steal, but this is not a time for him to steal something from you. It's a time for you to celebrate and anticipate that what God has said. I may not have all the promises yet, but I got enough faith to keep going in this. Amen. Man, I just, I just caught my breath. I got a second wind. I can keep going. You know why? Because we're celebrating together. Yes. This is the Feast of Sukkot. We can do this together. We should be able to be moving forward the, the faithfulness that God fulfills every good promise. Amen. Man, I, I'm thinking back to Deuteronomy 32 for the, for the Stevens family. I'm thinking of Psalm 16. My boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. I'm thinking about Joshua 24 that says that not one of his good promises will fail. Amen. What the Lord is doing in our midst is incredible. See, a faith like this that is, that is joyous, Full of celebration over what he has done in us it demands that we crush a few things, though, doesn't it? It does. It demands that we crush doubt. Yep. It demands that we crush fear, yep. that we crush selfishness. <laughs> this ain't about us. But look at what he's doing for us to encourage us, to help us. We can trust in him. Amen. A faith that makes us engage in our homes to make sure that we are being faithful to what he is doing. I want to encourage you. If you have not yet sat down and written down a few important points that you took from the last 10 days of our church, from the last seven days of our church, you should do that. You know why? Because you want to remember what he's done. That will help you to anticipate what he's still yet to fulfill in your life. I don't want you to be left behind. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, don't get left behind. Don't get left behind. I'm not talking some weird Tim LaHaye thing either. (laughs) You know, there's some weird interpretations of uh, not all Israel is Israel that you can talk to people about. See, all of Israel came out of Egypt, but there are ones that died along the way because of disobedience, and they didn't end up making it into Israel. See, there were to be included. They had been called, and they were there, but they didn't continue to walk as Israel was required to walk. Hey, all LCM is doing really, really well right now. All of LCM is strong right now. But there are, in fact, bodies that have been scattered throughout the desert. 
even some who decided that it was better to watch online during the conference than being there themselves. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they were looking for. I pray that God have mercy upon them all. I don't know if they were trying to see if we were going to fail or trying to remember what it's like to feel God's presence in their life again. See, not everyone in Israel lived up to the calling that Israel had. LCM, all of LCM is doing incredibly well right now. So if you're not, then I want to tell you, actually get on board with what we are doing so that you can be doing well in addition to it. Man, this is a great encouragement to see victory in God's house. We have to be celebrating this today. Are you guys excited, overwhelmed, rejoicing that you are standing in a victorious position right now? Rejoicing that you're standing in the fulfillment of God's promises? What that leads us to is having a determination to see his promises fulfilled. Let's pick up in verse 41 of 1 Kings 8. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name. For men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this temple. Where exactly? Remind me again. Where was that temple again? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you. So that the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. This was a progression, this dedication of the temple, a progression that demonstrated a determination to affect the nations. In the same manner, we are determined to see 12 one association churches on the soil of the U.S. We are determined to see the Aswan team launch towards their goal and impact the Middle East with the name above all names. Amen. We are determined to see Justin Treaster planted as a wild olive tree in the rich soil of Israel itself. Amen. Our vision is to open up the springs of Eliam. So that our disciples can bring the wells of salvation to the nations. Don't forget that while Solomon is praying these things, he is only a few feet away from ten menorahs. Ten menorahs that all together have 70 branches. Branches declaring a light for every nation on earth. What a symbol. What a symbol worthy of celebrating and letting resound in the tents of the righteous. That there at the place of God's choosing to bear his name in that temple, there is a bold, bright proclamation of his desire for the nations to inherit what has been given Israel. He is praying for the remnant of people who will want to come into the call, blessing, and function of Israel and to worship the God of Israel on the mountains of Israel along with the sons of Israel. Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 63. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. See, Solomon here is going way above and beyond what is required. 
there were 70 bulls that were supposed to be offered through the days of Sukkot. He's got 22,000 cattle, 120,000 sheep and goats, but that's not all he had actually given in this time. See, he didn't do it because he had to. He went way beyond what was required. He wanted to. Yes. And he could not be stopped from paying the full price of what was going on. Amen. This is the heart of what we are trying to encourage you on this morning. Man, we have to have a full price kind of mentality that says, I don't have to. I just want to. And no one can stop me from giving all that I have to the Lord. Man, there are stories within this passage. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Kings 7, it talks about Solomon and all the things that were made of bronze that had been worked on by a skilled craftsman. The weight of the bronze was left undetermined. Wow. Didn't even have to didn't even have the ability to be able to count what it was because it was fashioned in such a way. In 1 Kings 8, 5, King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel gathered about him were before the ark. Listen to this phrase. Sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. They counted 120,000. How many would it take to not be counted or recorded? That's in addition to the 120,000. What is Solomon doing here? He is giving all because he is coming in to where the presence of God dwells. And he says, I don't have to. I'm not required to. I want to and I get to. And you can't stop me from doing it. Do you realize in later chapters, which we won't get to, this causes God to visit with Solomon for the second time. This kind of dedication to the Lord. Man, it is not about obligation. Our greatest times of rejoicing. Listen to this, church. Everybody look at me. Our greatest times of rejoicing are not free from sacrifice. That's a good word. They're actually defined by your sacrifice. Yes. See, don't we get a little bit myopic in what we're doing? We start thinking one way. This is a time I should be able to relax and enjoy. Yes. What is the sacrifice? Not that you're even required to do, but that you get to do in this moment. Amen. What is the sacrifice that you want to do and no one can stop you from doing in this moment? I see some heads nodding, but y'all are awful quiet. I'm not talking about only your finances here. We want everything about who you are to have this kind of attitude. I don't have to. Yeah. I've long since met the requirement of what I had to do. See, your pastors didn't have to sell houses to move here. Your, your pastors, I didn't have to marry my wife. But I got to. Amen. But I wanted to. And there was nothing on earth that could have stopped me from doing it. You see, that's the kind of attitude that we're developing here. Are you still in the habit of measuring your sacrifices right now, though? I, you, I, I don't know of anyone who would do this. So if you do, this is, you just need to not respond out loud right now. Anyone who really, really goes into counting the cost at Thanksgiving. Really, really micromanages and you see the next person walk in your door and you're like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're counting. You count the plates to make sure that no one gets a double dip on the plates. That's ridiculous, right? Why? Because you're supposed to be in such a spirit of thanksgiving that you're looking for people off the street to invite into your house. You become less worried about yourself and your focus becomes on being a fountain to the nations. 
See, this is exactly what the Lord is teaching us here. Man, these are times, there should be times in our life like Sukkot where you cast off restriction. You cast off calculation. Amen. You, you live in a zero faith, no holds bar, there's nothing too much for me to give kind of attitude. You don't have anything to give that he didn't give you anyway. <laughs> for real? Really? <laughs> that, was, that was Louisiana right there. For real? For sure. You like, you like that or no? Looking back, Damien. We'll go make some groceries later, Damien. It'll be all right. Go to the rouse. Hey, you're, you're only returning to the Lord what is rightfully his. Yeah, that's true. Golly. Verse 64 even says that the altar was too small for the sacrifices being made. The altar prescribed by the Lord was actually too small for the amount of sacrifices that they were doing. We're going to keep bringing things to you, Lord. I know that you have this prescribed, but we're going to overwhelm the altar with our sacrifices. Come on, that's a beautiful thought. It says somewhere in the Proverbs, do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. It is stingy for us to be in the house of the Lord and constantly measuring what we're sacrificing. It's an easy measurement. You ready for the easy measurement? Ready? It has to be your all. Amen. If it's your all every time, then you're doing it right. If you're having to count, you're really counting what you've kept back is really what you're calculating what if we started measuring that what if we started measuring a zero faith not by what you put in the offering but by what you kept in your pocket come on we're trying to get to Sukkot today folks yes we're trying to get to says no amount of sacrifice is too much we're not only going to pay full price we're going to see what extra we could give after we've paid the full price this is the spirit of LCM this is the spirit of this house that we're not Worrying about the cost, we're just going to give to the Lord because it's our desire and our pleasure to do so. No wonder the fire fell from the heavens on this event in the Bible. No wonder the cloud of his presence was so thick the priests couldn't do their work. You know why? It's because God was doing the work. When you give in that kind of way, it's God that says, just stand aside. I'll go ahead and take care of all of it for you. You've given all, I will give all. This is a beautiful picture. Not because they were required, not because they had to. They just wanted to and they couldn't be stopped. Church, do you want to give all? Yes. Do you want to be unstoppable in achieving it? Yes. Let's look at verse 65 and see how this carries forward. So Solomon observed the festival at that time, Sukkot, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Labo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. Another way to look at this is from all the, from all the way up north to all the way down south. From all over the place. It's almost like what we witnessed at the One Association Conference last weekend. People coming from all the way up north in Chicago. From all the way down south in Peru. As far as east as Chennai, India, and as far west as Indonesia. Wasn't that an ingathering of God's people? Let's continue on in the verse. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more. I mean, not just the prescribed time, but they said, let's do this again. Let's be unstoppable. Not because we have to, it's because we want to. Did y'all have a great time at the conference? 
Could you have gone just seven days more after that? Fourteen days in all, they celebrated this this festival. They didn't have to. They weren't obligated to. They wanted to. They didn't want to stop the festival of rejoicing over God's goodness. So how about you? How's your heart? Because LCM, what we do is that we pay the full price of sacrificing so we can enjoy the full reward of rejoicing. Because we want to, not because we have to. And what should resound in the tense of the righteous here is I'm an unstoppable force because I've given my all and I'm therefore able to receive all that the king can give me. We got to keep this going. I'm talking about the gift of repentance, walking through the tabernacle prayer on the Wednesday night before the conference. Was that powerful? Let's have the attitude of let's keep it going. Let's be unstoppable in pursuing this. We got to take the revelation and the impact of the conference itself. And we have to keep that revelation going. Let's keep it active in our lives. Let's build upon it and not let it lie dormant. We have to be unstoppable. We have to continue to get re-engaged in our covenant with the, the mighty king. Washing, being renewed in our covenant with him. Saints, we got to keep it going. Do y'all want the momentum of what we experienced before, during, and after the conference to keep on going? Yes. Yes. Come on now. Seven more days. Seven more days. <laughs> so what we're playing is after service, we're just going to camp out right here. We're going to go seven more days in the name of Jesus. <laughs> hey, before we, leave, before we leave this passage, we have one, I have one more nugget that I want to give to you. In verse 66, we, we almost missed this one, but the Lord helped us. On the following day, he sent the people away. Solomon sent the people away. They blessed the king. Somebody say, blessed the king. Blessed the king. Wow, that's, that's an interesting phrase there. And they went home joyful and glad in heart. For all the good things the Lord had done for his servant, David, and his people Israel. This is Solomon as king. David has already passed away. He is dead. And what they're doing is they're celebrating. They're having such joy. They are dancing. And what they do is like, oh, king, man, we bless you. Thank you for leading us like this. We're going home with glad and sincere hearts over what the Lord has done for his servant, David. Come on, Come on, fathers and sons. This is a picture of everything that we've been talking about recently about discipleship. A father and a son. See, when you work when a work that's initiated by a father is completed in the life of the son, it's the father's work. It's accredited to the father what the son had completed. Man, if we can get a hold of this rightly, church, some of us are thinking about our ministries and about our calling and about what God wants for us and for me and for my... What if it's that you're setting something up so that the work of you as a father is only completed in the next generation. Come on. By the way, Solomon got to enjoy it being his work as well. Yeah. They called this Solomon's temple. Both the father and the son are able to own the work. How is that even possible? It's possible when you have a heart that shows up like Sukkot. When you understand that you're going to give and give, not because you have to, but because I want to, and you can't stop me. And that causes such honor from the Lord that even your father 
This is the work of your father. Yeah, but he's not even there anymore. Come on, man. God, that's an incredible thought. Celebrating David and his people at the dedication of Solomon's temple. If that doesn't prove and encourage you about what we are building as LCM, this is such a beautiful picture of that. We want to take a look at another celebration real quick in the book of Nehemiah. Turn with us to Nehemiah 8. This is another time where we see Sukkot and a special insight from the Lord. Say Sukkot when you're there. We'll start with verse 13. On the second day of the month, the head of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country. And bring back, say bring back, bring back, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. I want us to pay attention to something as we look at this passage, as it is written as as it is written from where? From Leviticus 23, where we begin in our message, 2339, meaning that this was to be a a lasting ordinance in giving all the, the guidelines of how to carry this out. But I want you to notice something here. In Leviticus 3, olive trees weren't mentioned initially. But Nehemiah's, by Nehemiah's day, there's a progressive revelation that's occurring, a special revelation. You gotta catch it. We almost missed it. We're looking at just the events of Sukkot throughout the word. We see here there is a cultivated olive tree. These are the descendants of Jacob cultivated by God himself. In addition to that cultivated olive tree, they're descendants of Jacob. We see wild olive trees. People, peoples in the region that needed to be brought into Jacob's revelation. In addition to that, we see other trees, such as myrtles. If we're comparing these to people groups, right? We got some myrtles in the room. So when I look at Timo, I see a myrtle. Oh, look at that myrtle. A myrtle tree. Myrtle. Myrtle. I look around, I see some other shade trees. I'm not going to name names, but there's some shade trees in the house. But I can definitely say when I look at my wife, Cassidy, I see a palm tree. (laughs) That you have this assortment of cultivated olive trees, wild olive trees, and the assortment of all the other trees. But the command was to bring back branches. That when we look at this, we see God's heart of focusing on the harvest of all the nations. That this is to be celebrated with a collection of all people groups and therefore making Sukkot complete. Amen. Let's look at verse 16. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in the courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water, one by the gate of Ephraim. 
the whole company. Somebody say whole company. Whole company. That had returned from exile, built booths, and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Oh, yeah. Man. You know, it hit me. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until Nehemiah, they had not celebrated it like that. Solomon's temple was right in the middle of that time period. What we've just been studying about happened. All of that, of that full price, all of that great sacrifice, all of that joy, all of that revelry towards God was in the middle of this time period. Man, it's amazing when you just sit and read what the Word says. How can it be, though? I mean, are we saying that this topped the time there with Solomon? The Word says they had not celebrated it like this. Maybe it's this understanding that there's olive, cultivated olive trees, and wild olive trees, and all these other types of trees that get to celebrate this together. But if it hadn't been done since the days of Joshua, that means it actually had been done in Joshua's day. It actually had been occurring before. Man, it's almost like there was old wine that they were finding again. It's almost like that this was the point the whole time. See, that the fountain to the nations was always what this has been about. They just kind of rediscovered it and said, oh, let's do olive and wild olive and other trees in here. Let's get them all in here. Because it's about the nations. This is old wine. It's taking it back to where it started. It's not some obscure new revelation that they got, but it's the old treasure. It's just now in a new bottle. Come on, man. Going back to the original idea. It reminds me of Psalm 52. That David says, I am like an olive tree. That's kind of funny because David was an olive tree. We are the ones that are like an olive tree. Somebody say, like an olive tree. Like an olive tree. That he was flourishing in God's house. In Psalm 128, which would have been one of the Psalms of Ascent that they are singing as they're walking up the steps in the temple area in Jerusalem. 15 steps for 15 psalms that they are singing. This is one of the steps that they would have been singing. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. That sounds like exactly the way we started off the service, doesn't it? Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Come on, fruitful vine. Within your house, your sons will be like olive shoots. Come on now, if you're, if you're Israeli, if you're a Jew, your sons are olive shoots. But we're, we get to be like olive shoots. Amen. They might be cultivated, but we're a little wild and uncultivated. But we're still part of exactly what is going on. God has a very, very serious heart towards what's going on about Israel and Sukkot. Yeah. Let's go to Romans chapter 11, starting verse 1. Like... Auschwitz. Say Sukkot whenever you're there. There we go. Oh, yeah. I asked then, did God reject his people? Paul writes after this, by no means. But I want to pause just for a second to let you know the level of emphasis which Paul is using. 
If it were to be translated as best as we could in English, in our vernacular, even slang. Be, be careful, Pastor. I cannot say it from the microphone at this moment. Just, just I'll be, be careful. Yeah, heaven forbid, you know. Oh my gosh, golly, or whatever you also want to say. It wasn't polite. It was the strongest language available in Paul's day to emphasize not at all. And this is found in Romans 11.1, New Testament passage. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah. He appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself, how many thousand? Seven. There's that number seven again that we were talking about. I reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That 7,000 cultivated olive branches, 7,000 Israelis who had not bowed their knee to Baal. Verse 5, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant. Say the word remnant. Remnant. Chosen by grace. That remnant is a band of survivors. That remnant is one that God has preserved in order to be a collection of cultivated olive branches. They would be waved before him in Sukkot. Amen. Let's look at verse 11. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovering? Not at all. Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles for the purpose of making Israel envious. Yes. Wow, this is so plain, so clear for us. This is the crux of LCM and the One Association being a fountain to the nations right here. This is the heartbeat of what we are doing. Why do we seem to keep going back over this? Because you need to hear it again. There are so many people teaching so many things that are different than the obvious, clear scripture. We're trying to help you to overcome the constant dribble of the theologians for the last 1800 years. That somehow contradict exactly what it says over and over and over again. Man, we are after finding the myrtles, the trees of false religions of the world to make Israel realize that their God can save even us. Yes. That will breathe resurrection life into Israel, which will no longer be a remnant. It will be in mass. It'll be all of them. I mean, I'm talking about fullness, people. The fullness that is there, just like in the days of Joshua, just like in the days of Nehemiah or in Solomon's temple's dedication, the fullness. Look at verse 12. But if their transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Come on, we know that this is about a Calve Comer is the teaching style that Paul is using here. If the small principle is that the transgressions of Israel brought us salvation, that's the small part of the teaching. The bigger part is what happens when, somebody say when, when, when Israel finds salvation, 
It is going to be that the King of the Jews, the Messiah, returns and that there is resurrection from the dead. This is incredible. How much greater is it when they get it right? That is our heart. Why are we sending people in the heart of the Middle East? So that the Muslims, those who have been captive to Islam, will be saved by the King of the Jews. And that dynamic, powerful, spirit-led transformation will make Israel stop and say, wait a minute. They're our sworn enemies. And they love our God? Yes! That's exactly what it is. And we want to have our part in every nation, in every language, in every tribe. We want to be some of the 12 springs that feeds the 70 nations. This is exactly what we're after. This is LCM. Verse 13, Paul picks up with a a very clear push-shot statement that we need to get. I am talking to you Gentiles. (laughs) Who is Pastor Wade talking to? To us Gentiles, with the exception of Ohad right here. I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from death? What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? The blessings of Israel do not end with us Gentiles. We are not the stopping point. We are the envious point. The showcase in order to display God's desire to be a fountain to the nations and provoke their hearts to return to Him. The Lord wants to use us Gentiles to awaken His people, Israel, resulting in the salvation of Israel, not the rejection of Israel. Reconciliation is what God is after. And as Gentiles, we must pay close attention to God's plan for His people, Israel. That His plan is that they experience life from the dead. Look at verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off and you... Though a wild olive shoot. Come on, Nehemiah. Where are you at? Have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. Yes. Come on now. Let's, Let's understand the context. This is talking about Israel and this is talking about the Gentiles. The root that they have is what we are getting the nourishment from. Come on, it's almost like John 15 when Jesus says, I'm the vine. The Jewish vine. The Jewish man, who's the Jewish king, and the Jewish Messiah, says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Wow, what a beautiful thing. We have to have a reverence that we've been grafted into a Jewish faith. Ephesians clearly says this. So many other passages clearly say this. This is we're one man that has been made from two. One body brought together under one head that is a Jewish king, Jesus Christ. You don't support the root. Goodness gracious, what an arrogant thought that we're going to support the root. But isn't that what so many in Christianity have taught for the last 1,800 years? We've got to hopefully go get them back to bring them into Christianity. (laughs) That's 
That's backwards. Yeah. Of course we want salvation, but that's backwards. We're joining in with them. Amen. Verse 19, you will say branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. See? Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant. Somebody say, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. But be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. See, there's an arrogance that says that to be able to teach something that is different than what this this passage of Scripture says. There's an arrogance that thinks that we're supporting the root, not the root supporting us. Man, remember the context of our service today is Sukkot. It's their feasts. It's their plans. It's their patriarchs. It's their tabernacle. It's their temple. We're just now included with them. We're trying to learn how to do it. We have to have the Lord divinely reveal to us that even our core principles align with the, with the seven feasts. Yep. If we'd have been smart enough to be Jews, we would have already figured that part out. They are a fountain to the nations and we must be like them. At its inception in Leviticus 23, the temple dedication, the rebirth of Sukkot and Nehemiah, we are celebrating Sukkot. We are celebrating this concept. Nehemiah's day uses olives and wild olive trees and other types of trees to show to build temporary dwellings that people may inhabit. God is serious about the celebration of Sukkot. He said it's a lasting ordinance. He's serious about us not standing in arrogance towards his people, towards his land, or towards his plan. This is not only for the days of the Older Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings. It's not only throughout the Newer Testament that we see in Romans. It's not only in our day. But this also extends well into the future. Say well into the future. Well into the future. Even to the millennial reign of Christ. Let's look at this in Zechariah chapter 14. And we'll start in verse 16. Say Sukkot whenever you're there. Then the survivors from all the, what's that next word? Nations. This is Goyim. Then all the, then the survivors from all the nations, and not just Goyim, that have attacked Jerusalem, will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, to celebrate Sukkot. If any of the peoples on the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, they will not, or they will have no rain. What we see here is that even in the millennial reign, God is still holding to his word. Holding to his word that we saw earlier in Leviticus 23 and Nehemiah. Verse 41 says, during or this is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And there is a consequence for not gathering Jerusalem to celebrate Sukkot. Not celebrating and worshiping the Lord our God Almighty. And that consequence was to have no rain, no source of life for you, your family, your livestock, or your rain or your land. When we fail to join the Lord in celebrating the fruitfulness of our harvest, that fruitfulness that has come from Him. He will begin to cut off the flow of life, the very water from heavens that have provided the harvest for us in the first place. But our point today is to 
make sure that we understand how serious God really is about celebrating the good things that he has done in our lives. Celebrating the rain that has provided the crops that we're now harvesting. That heavenly living water, that wellspring of life that wells up inside of us and is aiming at the nations. The Lord tells us that we must celebrate. He tells us and lays that pattern out, but we're trying to learn as a church how not to do it just because it's a requirement, not because we have to. Man, we want to. We want to see God's word fulfilled, and we want to see him have it fulfilled in us. We cannot be stopped in having his will fulfilled in us. Let's turn to John chapter 7. Man, we're talking about no rain during Sukkot. <laughs> Man, the water drawing ceremony comes yes. to mind. The lighting of the menorah. The overwhelming joy that's there. I can't wait to see what happens here. On the last and greatest day of the feast, the seventh day of the seventh feast in the seventh month. Church, this is today. It's literally today on the calendar. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. See, as they're taking golden vessels and filling it with water and putting it into earthen vessels, the divine that's being poured into humanity, Jesus is saying, yeah, come to me and drink. If you're thirsty, if you've had no rain in your, in your world, come to me because I can give it to you. And you're not only going to be able to receive the water from the heavens, but you become a source of it. Not just a recipient but you become part of the stream. Yes. We become sources of wells that are able to provide for the whole world. Yes. Come on, Isaiah 12 says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is what we are thinking. This is what is being taught and being experienced here. This was always God's intention. He has always proven this and provided this at the Feast of Sukkot. 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Man, water drawing is supposed to be a time of great outpouring, of joy and celebration. This is an incredible period. We, we go to this passage of Scripture often, don't we? we? We know this passage of Scripture well. This outpouring of the Spirit is meant to initiate the lighting of the menorahs. That there was not a courtyard in all of Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light of this water drawing ceremony. In our day, we want to draw from the wells of salvation and not leave a place on this earth that fails to be illuminated by the light of the menorah of God. How joyous are you, church? I mean, I'm talking about a celestial celebration. How bright is your light today? How deep is your determination to move forward and trusting in God to fulfill every good promise that he's given? How committed are you to being a fountain to the nations? Man, it's not of a question if you, if you have to. It's not a question if you've been required. It's do you want to and can you be stopped in this process? This is an incredible day for us. Amen. Let's go to Revelation 7, 9. In our desire to be that fountain to the nations. We'll see here in Revelation 7, 9. A greater display of it. After I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every tribe, from every nation, every people, every language, 
know, this is very similar to what it would be like to attend a Piro family reunion. Every nation, tribe, people, and language. Within each person. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Can you see God's desire to clothe every nation, every tribe, every people and language in righteousness and enable them to hold in their hands a celebratory palm branch declaring God's goodness. Palm branches that God's been aiming at this since the beginning, the very thing that we went thoroughly through in Nehemiah, that there is first olive branches, next wild olive branches, myrtles, and even palms. A celebration of the harvest of Israel and the nations. Amen. Look at verse 14. (laughs) Who are these people? I answered, uh, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who are these? Those are the ones that have come out. They've been victorious. They've come through the persecution and the difficulty and they've arrived on the other side because God's word has been faithful and they are now walking in a victorious manner, even at the cost of their own lives. Man, those who can celebrate even as they are sacrificing to the Lord. Wow. What a beautiful thing for us to learn how to do. We sacrifice and we celebrate. We can do both at the same time because these People are being made into his very temple. They've washed their robes. They've been made white in the blood of the lamb. Look at verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him night, uh, day and night in his temple. Somebody say his temple. His temple. They're in the heavenly temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Wait, 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 wait. So they're in the temple. And the one who sits on the throne then spreads a tabernacle over them. Wait, 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 wait. So they're standing in the temple. Man, what a great joy. This is why we take joy to serve him now so that we can get to serve him then as well. That is our joy in life, serving in the heavenly temple. Not because they have to. Not because they were required of it. They wanted to, and there was nothing in heaven and earth that could stop them from serving their great king. God will spread his tabernacle over them in the midst of the temple. And that blew my mind when I was reading this. I've read this many times and it just struck me in a unique way in light of Sukkot. They're serving in the temple and God builds a Sukkot for them in his presence. Come on. Man, this is an incredible, incredible thing for us to see. We see in verse 16 and 17 the residual benefits of being in his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, saints, he doesn't just lead them to springs of water. He makes them into springs of water. It's not because they have to. They get to. They wanted to. And they're not going to be stopped. He will not only wipe away every tear of their eyes. He will make them into those who wipe away tears of others' eyes. Not because they have to, but because they want to. They get to, and they're unstoppable. God's design is for you to become what Sukkot is. We want to be a light to the nations. 
and one that cannot be stopped. We want to be a well and fountain of salvation, one that cannot be stopped. We want to be a temple that is filled with His presence and one that cannot be stopped. We want to be a gathering of branches with Israel and one that cannot be stopped. We don't have to. We are not required to. We want to. And nobody's going to stop us. At this time, I'd like to ask John and Miss Joy to come up here. Joy, we'll do without screens for a little while. It'll be fine. There's a connection between the Feast of Sukkot and Tabernacle and the booths that they made and the temple and the congregation here. Peter refers to us as a... uh, A temple made of living stones. You heard the pastors here today infer that the booths were made of certain kind of branches. And that those branches were represented by the various shades in here. There's no end to describing the ways in which the complexity and the beauty of Messiah's body are made up. I want to refer to some scriptures for you. We're... Long on time, but they're powerful enough that we ought to contemplate them. So, in Acts 14, just write down 21 through 23. I want to submit to you that a couple things happen. They win disciples. They didn't win converts. They didn't win crowds. They won disciples. The next thing that happens is they strengthen disciples. People that are already committed to being disciples, they strengthen them. When you start with disciples and then those disciples get stronger and stronger and stronger, something else can happen. I mean, we don't have to. It's not like we're required to, but we want to. Those disciples, others. They're examples to the rest of the body. John and Joy have been with us since the beginning. It's kind of funny. I think John got drunk at our first crawfish boil. I'm still fond of telling that story. But they didn't stay that way. They've grown every year. Not all that long ago, somebody was somewhat critical of the ministry, which is everybody should be sometimes. At your own peril, but you should be sometime. And I love John's response. He said, this is our church. If that's a problem, we fix it. That's beautiful. We are going to appoint elders today. Could we have our elders come? I want you to know... That every pastor and every elder in the one association has been examining John and Joy over the last year between our our conferences. We are in 100% unanimous agreement. In Exodus 24, write down 9 through 13. Aaron, Nadab, 
Abihu and the rest of the 70 elders are called up on a mountain. That's really cool. Spence, come here. I need a visual example. A mountain of a man. Right there by Timo. That's good. Now like a ballerina. Spence is our mountain. The people are at the foot of the mountain. Say at the foot. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the other 70 climb the mountain. We don't know where, but they're eating and drinking in the presence of God. Moses and Joshua ascend higher than that. In Spencer's backside here, we have a picture of what elders are. Elders stand, thank you, with one hand on the leaders that are at the top of the mountain Uh, responsible for deriving direction and the other hand on the people of the congregation they minister in two directions when i am in trouble these elders minister to me when you need an advocate (laughs) they minister to you that is the role of an elder they are liaisons between those working and those in full-time ministry they are a liaison between the people and their leaders. To give you an idea of the importance of it, in Joshua 24, the very first verse in the chapter is all the elders assembled. The last verse in the chapter is, as long as those elders were alive, even though Joshua was dead, Israel served the Lord. To drive that point home just a little further in a crazy way, in Ezra 5, the first five verses... Zechariah is there. Haggai is there. Uh, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, is there. Zerubbabel is there. That's, those are heavyweight leaders in Israel's history, yeah? Yeah, but verse 5 says God's hand was on the elders. You got two prophets, a priest, and a governor, and God's hand was on the elders. You can carry this all the way through the Bible, but we're not going to. In Revelation 5, John is weeping bitterly, and the elders ministered to him. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Peter 5, Titus 3, all describe the behavior of an elder. We've examined this couple for, it's been about 12 years now. About 12 years, we see the behavior in them. But my favorite, and the only thing that I want to read with you, is from 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 and 2. Can't see it. Oh, she put it on the screen. <laughs> All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. Let's pause. We are your own flesh and blood. I want you to understand that the way that the kingdom works is your family, your flesh and blood, is actually those that do the will of the, of the Lord. That's who your flesh and blood is. Who are my mother, my brothers, my... John and Joy, they are our flesh and blood. They have proven that for more than a decade. We've been with them at the highest moments in their life and the lowest moments in their life. They are our flesh and blood. Second verse. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. John and Joy 
have an aptitude for what we're asking them to do. How many in the church have had them bless their children? Yeah. How many of you were children in the youth group? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. They have helped us win the battle of turning an entire generation over for the Lord here. They have led us in military campaigns. The third one is, is the best. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. At LCM, understand something. The elders, when they're in unity, they overrule the pastors. That's an interesting concept. But they wouldn't, why would we choose elders that we wouldn't listen to? So we get to choose the elders. But we can't then revoke that choice because we disagree, as long as they're in unity. That's a great, great balance. Also, an elder in the one association in one church is recognized by all of the churches. I want you to understand the gravity of what's happening. God is weaving branches into this tabernacle to make it stronger. To make it... We don't have to. We want to. We get to. Nobody's going to stop us. It is our desire for accountability. It is our desire to go further. It is our desire for the things of God that have protected us and will continue to. Okay? We do not have puppet boards here. We do not have figurehead leadership here. We have familial, real, biblical leadership here. Amen. I would like to hear from the elders if that's okay. Even if it's not, it's what we're going to do. Amen. Numbers 11, starting in verse 16. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. We are experiencing an appointment of elders. We're experiencing Lord, the Lord stationing the Dang family where he wants them. Uh, we had a little discussion last night about what this whole thing is called. Some might call it an installation. We're not sure, but the Lord says station. I like the word station because it's somewhat solid in, in in, in where he wants you to be. So we can see that happening. If we jump to... Jump to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Also, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took the spirit who was upon him and placed the spirit upon the 70 elders. And it came about that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. So the ordination of the elders continues by way of the Holy Spirit, which is the only way that you can be appointed. But it gets even more interesting. 
in verse 26. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Idad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So in this process, we are seeing John and Joy, who are not appointed because they're called to some kind of elite position or, or, or a title or they have money or anything like that. They're, they're called and appointed because they're moving about the camp doing the Lord's work and everybody can see it. They are functioning in this role way before the appointment happens. Okay, and this is what's blessing us. How many families blessed in here because of the Dangs? Let's see that again. Incredible. And they've been here since the beginning. They have seen all the ups and downs of the church, and it is absolutely marvelous. Uh, they are worthy to be appointed elders because they have advocated and have taken an interest in every family in here. Yeah. And, and that is worth noting. So uh, Nick and I worked on some paleo on the word elder. And, it, and it's very interesting. And it sums up exactly what John and Joy are in this church. The word for elder is saken, and uh, just to sum it all up without breaking it all down, you are those who nourish the sons of God continually over the course of time. And, and, you, and you have proven this over the last bunch of years that you've been doing this and that you're worthy of this appointment. And I have a charge for you. Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2. And this is not a charge to say that this is what you need to do. This is an affirmation and an encouragement to continue doing what you're doing. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. These are affirmations for you because this is what you're doing, and I encourage you to continue doing it. We love you guys. An honor to serve with you. Amen. This is a blessing and a joy. <laughs> you know, in 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 the book of Acts, when uh, Barnabas and Paul had finished their mission in chapter twelve in Antioch, how do you know they finished their mission? In the first verse of chapter thirteen. It talks about <clears throat> because there were the prophets and the teachers and the leaders that they had established there. And so this, John and John are an example of accomplishment of God's work here in LCM. Outstanding accomplishment. And we're so proud of you. That you'll be not only a part of LCM, but a part of our lives. And you already are.
<clears throat> and in First Timothy, chapter six, verses twelve to fourteen, and fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the internal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this commandment without spot, blame, until uh, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is what you do. This is what you have been doing, and there's no doubt that you will continue doing it. But the charge is not for you to continue doing it, but to invest it in these. Amen? There's some beautiful things that we want to do here before we go back into worship. I want to start with a funny one. We have an elder with an extraordinary mustache. We have an elder with an extraordinary beard. And we have a baby-faced, clean-shaven, handsome elder. Olive trees, wild olive trees, myrtles, palms. We are all making up one house of God. Let's just go ahead and put down the ridiculous stereotype that there is a certain kind of LCM man. If by man, you mean man, that's fine. All of the rest is really just petty, isn't it? John and Joy were saved in this ministry. They were spirit-filled in this ministry. They were water-baptized in this ministry. They were discipled in our home. They are what LCM is. And notice, John and I don't talk the same. Jen and Joy don't dress the same. We are the best of friends with the same standards fighting for them. And we are literally nothing alike and yet love everything about each other. That's what LCM is. Now, many of you are sitting here and you don't know quite where to aim your life. I understand that. We talk a lot about banners and mezuzahs. We're talking about you being woven together with the people that are here, aiming at being an example to every other person here. John and Joy have never been ambitious for something. They were never seeking a title. They instead picked up towels. Which is why they're such fit elders. They're not looking to exert authority over people. They want to serve people. Which means they'll handle the authority that they have well. We recognize them. The other pastors and elders of the One Association recognize them. I am asking you to recognize them. But more than that, I'm asking you to shape your life in a similar fashion. Okay? If I had my preference, I would not leave this church before there were ten elders. The thing is, is you can't just pull them off of trees or out of vending machines. We have an undiscipled generation. And it shows. Now, I want to say this as well. I am very proud of the people that are here. 
It is a difficult thing to step late into something that's so radically different and do so well. And so many of you are doing so well. We must fix this problem in this generation for the next. We must. My personal goal in the 12 churches of the One Association is that we raise up 50 elders over the next few years. We will not do that by lowering the standard. That will only be done by adhering to discipleship. I've already spoken with some of the families in here. We need you to hit the target that you're aimed at. We need that. We cannot have pastors in their 20s with all the anointing of God without elders 20 years past them that have seen some of what they're going to experience and help them. Or we will shipwreck everything. Okay? We've raised up pastors everywhere. We're missing elders. Consider aiming your life at something that is worthwhile. Okay? Um, we're going to begin to pray on the stage. Peyton's going to begin to sing. We don't have to do anything a certain way. I love that. I don't answer to a guy in a funny hat anywhere. What well, you listened about Sukkot. You didn't have to. You weren't required to. You just get to. Is the majority of your Christian walk defined by celebration? Or are you still lamenting the great sacrifice? I can tell you, I stood next to somebody's dying bed yesterday. I can look them right in the eye and say, I have zero fear of death. None. I would gladly switch places with you. But that's not what I saw in her eyes. Not at all. For me, the sacrifice is in the rearview mirror. I'm so excited with what the Lord's done. I'm now not worried about what anything costs me. Not at all. All I want to do is go as far as I can with it. Is that where your heart is? We're going to worship for a little while. Uh, I'm so happy with the church. I don't feel a big move to try to get you all to repent. I would rather see you learn to celebrate what he's doing. I mean, I really, really would. Because he's done so much for us. Could you stand to your feet? Father, we thank you for these elders that we have. Lord, we not only love John and Joy, we love the way that they love you. Lord, we wish that every family in this room would achieve this kind of high calling in you. Lord, we're asking that you would empower them to that end. Father, that you would help the families in this room hit the goal for with which you have aimed them. Lord, we need leaders. We need good examples. We need accountability. We need encouragement. Father, we're asking you to multiply the families that are like John and Joy in this room. Lord, those that started late, we're asking you to catch them up. Lord, those that are at the beginning of their race, we're asking that you would help them endure to the end. Lord, as we stretch forward to become the tabernacle of God, as we reach to become booths that you dwell in we're asking that you would wind us together Lord that you would take us from every walk of life and twist us into something that is beautiful for your shaping Lord here and now will you move on us by your spirit 
Will you attest to your work on earth with a heavenly voice? We give you this service in the name of Jesus.